Father, I pray that you would quieten our hearts today. I know there's a lot going on in different lives. Some may have just rushed in and hadn't really had time to quieten themselves. But Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts today to hear your word through Paul's prayer and that it would stretch us and motivate us And Lord, teach us how to pray as we learn from the model of Paul. Father, guide me as I teach and take anything I say, add it, delete it, just you you speak today. So Father, we give this time to you and pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when people ask you how to pray uh, or how they can pray for you, What do you typically tell them? You know, how can I pray for you? Well, pray this, pray that. What do you, how do you typically respond when somebody asks you how they can pray for you? And how often do we ask them to pray for something spiritual, our spiritual need? Or is it more uh, pray for this uh, job situation or pray for this, my child? And those are good things. But how often do we pray and ask people to pray for our spiritual growth? One of the things that I've noticed about Paul in all of his prayers is that Paul focuses on praying for their spiritual needs more than their material needs. I don't even really see a lot of prayers for material needs or spiritual needs for them. It's all focused on their spiritual growth. And that's one of the best things that we can pray for one another is spiritual growth. And every month I get an email from Hickman Ewing, who is kind of heading up Warriors on the Wall. And many of you are probably part of that prayer group here at First Evan, a group of people who pray for the, the ministry staff and missionaries. And so he'll ask every month, what can we pray for you? And I'll pray, I'll, I'll share things about, you know, the ministry, girls' getaways coming up, you know, pray for this, pray for this personal need in my life. But I always try to add something along my spiritual growth. Like, uh, one of the things I often ask is pray that I would fall more in love with Jesus every day. Or pray that I would stay attentive to his spirit leading me. And one of the things that I've often told people, not just warriors on the wall, but, but people who ask me, I'll say, pray that I will not step out in my own strength to lead this ministry. That I would always lean and draw from the Spirit. What would you ask somebody to pray for you concerning your spiritual growth? Well, this week we studied Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in Ephesians three fourteen to 21. And this, <clears throat> this prayer has a special place for me because it's the prayer that I prayed for you, the women of First Evan, when I first came here 14 years ago. I'm starting my 15th year this month. So that... I'm getting old, yes, I am. <laughs> it's hard to believe that this is year 15. But 
When I first came, I was very inadequate. I didn't feel adequate to lead you. And I came here and I prayed and asked God, God, how do I pray for these women? And he led me to Ephesians three fourteen to 21. And I prayed five things from that prayer for you that first year that I was here. And I still go back to that prayer from time to time because I love what's in this prayer. And Paul wanted to see the Ephesians grow in their relationship with Christ. And that's what I want to see in us. I want to see you grow in your relationship with Christ. I want to see you and me, and I'm including me when I say you. I want to see us go beyond status quo to be challenged, to step out of our comfort zone, but to grow spiritually. And that's what Paul wanted for the Ephesians. And so go ahead and turn to Ephesians three fourteen to 21. <clears throat> and I, again, I love this prayer because it's a great model to guide us through praying for one another, especially in the area of spiritual growth. And so just by way of background, this was Paul's second recorded prayer for the Ephesians. You looked at his first prayer that was found in Ephesians 1. And these prayers are different in some ways, but they also complement each other. The, The prayer in Ephesians 1 focused on what they had in Christ, their riches. And he wanted them to know, that was his prayer, I want you to know what you have in Christ. And then this prayer goes a step further. I don't want you to just know it. I want you to experience what you have in Christ. And we know the riches that we have in Christ. We should. But the question is, what are we doing with those riches? Are we embracing them? Or are we ignoring them? And my prayer is that we would embrace all that we have in Christ and not just ignore it and put it aside. And so let's look at this prayer in Ephesians 3 and how he encourages the Ephesians to embrace the riches of Christ. And I've divided his prayer into three parts. Uh, the prelude we're going to look at first, the, the petitions next, and then the praise at the end. So that's how we're going to proceed through this prayer. So let's begin with the prelude. He starts in verses 14 to 15, and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He begins, For this reason. Why? Why is Paul praying this? For the Ephesians. And he picks up the thought. He starts in chapter 3, verse 1, with for this reason. And then he kind of gets sidetracked. We women understand that, don't we? Because we start talking about something, and it reminds us of something, and we start going off. And that's what he did from verse 1 to verse 14. He kind of got off, and he he was just reiterating what he had talked about in chapters 1 and 2 about all that you have in Christ. And he was talking about the Gentiles. This is what you were before Christ. This is what you are now. And then he comes back to for this reason, and he picks it up again. 
And he's just saying, because of all you have in Christ, I pray this for you. And then he says, I'll bow my knees. And you probably talked about this in your small group. Scripture doesn't say that there is a proper posture to take when we pray. I mean, in in the, the time of the first century church, the Jewish fathers prayed by standing. Uh, You'll see in the Old Testament, uh, they sometimes were sitting when they prayed. Jesus, we looked at last week, was on his face before God. So there's not a one posture that we should always go to. And yet, uh, when we bow our knees, it indicates a true reverence for God. It's like bowing before royalty, expressing, I realize who you are. And I acknowledge that, and I just want to acknowledge that reverence for you. It also uh, indicates humility. I know you're God, and I know who I am, and I'm not. And I know my need for you. And so that bowing their knee, our knees is, is a form of reverence, it's a form of humility, but the posture isn't what counts. It's the posture of our hearts. Are we bowing before him in our heart attitude? That's what matters. And that's what we should think about. Am I just flippantly going before God, or am I coming to him with an attitude of reverence and humility? And then he goes on, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, Paul addresses his prayer to God, our Father, and he's just referring to the Father of all believers who've ever lived here on this earth and those that have gone before us. So that's all in his prelude, and he's telling them that because of all that they have in Christ, he is on his knees praying to the Father for them. But what is he praying for them? Well, that's our second part of his prayer, the petitions. And we read his petitions in verses 16 to 19. All of his petitions focus on their spiritual growth, not material needs, not physical needs, their spiritual growth. There are varying opinions as to how many Requests that Paul includes in his prayer. There are some who say there's only one, and everything else results from that. There are others who say there's two requests. Some say there's three. Some say four. Some say five. Like when I prayed this for you my first year, I had five requests in this prayer. You know, it doesn't matter um, how many requests. And to be honest, I see validity in every, every answer. I see where every person is coming from. I previously, when I taught this before, I I taught it with four requests. But today, I'm going to teach it from the the view of two main requests and two results. One request and a result of that request. A second request and a result of that request. That's the way I'm going to teach it today. Again, it doesn't matter how many requests you see. I think we can take his prayer and, and pray as God leads us from that prayer. 
But the first thing that he prayed for the Ephesians, and all scholars agree that this is one of the requests, is that they be strengthened by his spirit. In verse 16, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And some believe that this is the only request that Paul asked, is that they would be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit because they feel like this is the foundation of the prayer and that everything else is a result. Or, as one scholar says, every re- this starts and then every request builds on it. It is a critical foundational request. And when you become a believer... The Holy Spirit indwells you. He seals you. That's Paul told them that in Ephesians 1. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit in us is what enables us to live the Christian life. And so Paul is praying that they would draw from the strength of the Holy Spirit living in them and not from their own strength. But sadly, a lot of Christians are not aware. They don't know the power source in them. You know, I I didn't. I became a Christian when I was nine years old. And I was involved in youth group all through junior high, high school, went to youth camps. But for some reason, I mean, nobody ever gave me the foundation of, of basic assurance and forgiveness of salvation, and nobody took me through basic follow-up. Nobody grounded me. And I didn't realize I had the Holy Spirit. Yes, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart as we do as kids, but for somehow that just never went further. Okay, Jesus lives in me. I got to college, and I did not have the power to live the Christian life, or I didn't think I did. I didn't know I did. And so when those temptations came, I pretty much just, I thought, Lord, I can't say no to this. And so I walked off a different path away from God because I was unaware that I had the Holy Spirit living in me. And it wasn't until I was a junior in college when Bonnie, a girl on staff with Crusades, sat down with me and explained the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and that I am not able to live the Christian life on my own power, but I've got the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And I remember looking down, the first time I said something to somebody that came out of my mouth about the Lord and my relationship with him, I was stunned. And I, I, I actually looked down at my heart. <laughs> and I went, you are powerful, because I cannot believe those words came out of my mouth. It changed my life when I realized the power in me that I never knew before. And that's how we live the Christian life. We can't do it on our own. So you might say, well, how exactly do we draw from the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us? Do we push a button? Do we say something magic? No, it's not a magic formula. You just, I mean, if I was going to give you a formula, I'd say, well, first you just have to admit, God, I, I don't have the power to, to do this. I'm inadequate. I don't have the power to love that person. I don't have the power to forgive that person. 
I don't have the power to say no to that temptation or to to do this thing that you're telling me to do. You just admit first, I'm powerless. And then you just surrender and say, you fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Every morning I pray that prayer. God, will you empower me today to do what you're asking me to do? And would you empower me today to live in a way that pleases you? That's something we can pray every day throughout the day. But that's every day we just ask him. And we're always going to fall short if we're trying to live the Christian life in our own strength because we can't. But he can. And once I realized he's there, the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it really changed the way that I walk with the Lord. One of the greatest treasures that we possess is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are we ignoring that power? Or are we walking with that power? Are we allowing him to empower us to do his will? So that's the first thing that he prays, is that they would be strengthened by his power, the Holy Spirit. We should be praying this for one another. What a great prayer to pray. And then the result of that, and this is where some people would say this is a second request, but the more I've studied it this, as I was writing this and talking it over with Moody, um, I start to lean towards that view of this, is, this next thing is a, re- a result of that request, that they would walk in the power of the Spirit. The result is that Christ would be at home in their hearts. And he says that in the beginning of verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we know the Ephesians were already believers. Paul talked about this in Ephesians 1.1 when he calls them saints. They're believers. Christ was already living in their hearts. He sealed them with the Holy Spirit. So what does he mean so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? It really helps to go back to the original Greek language and look at the Greek. Because that word dwell is translated from the Greek word that is used for a permanent residence. You know, Jesus comes to permanently live in us. He's not going to leave. But it literally means to settle down and feel at home. That we're living in such a way that Jesus is comfortable in our lives. People often refer to this in this prayer as a lordship relationship. Jesus is a permanent resident in every believer, but he doesn't necessarily feel at home in every believer. We take him to places that he really is not comfortable going. Or we say words or thoughts he's not comfortable hearing. And so Paul is saying... When you draw from the power of the Holy Spirit, you are living your life under his control. 
because he's guiding you. He's empowering you to do the right things. You're living a life surrendered to him. And as we yield to him and make him Lord, we, we give him full access to every room in our lives, every area. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book, My Heart, Christ Home by Robert Munger. Anybody? That's, it's an old book, so you young ones probably aren't. But I remember reading that back when I was in college. And it's a great picture of, you know, as we yield our lives to him, that we give him full access to every room in our heart. We're not holding something back. You know, he talked about there was a closet that he didn't let the Lord in. There were things he wasn't ready to give over to the Lord. You can have access to every room in the house, not this one. But what he wants is for us to give him every, every area. You know, I thought about this yesterday morning uh, as I was getting ready to come in and I was thinking about the lecture. And I, I have a housekeeper who comes every other week, every other Monday, to just kind of do some good heavy cleaning. And I always clean up the house. I don't know how many of y'all have housekeepers. <laughs> but I don't want her to see the mess in my house. And so before I leave for work yesterday, I'm going around and I've got a bag and I'm picking up everything and I'm putting it in this bag and then I shove it in my closet and shut the door. And I thought, Lord, that is exactly what I am doing sometimes with you is that I don't want you to see what's in my life. And so I'm just picking it up and shoving it in the closet. But that is not what he wants. When we are strengthened by his spirit, Christ will be at home in our hearts. And instead of us trying to hide the mess, we should be real with him and say, Lord, here is my mess. Can you clean it up? That's the way we should live. And that's what he's praying for them, is that Christ would be at home in their hearts through faith, just believing that, yes, you can have this area of my life and work on it. Is Christ at home in your heart? Is he comfortable with what you're thinking? With what you're doing? With what you're reading or watching? Conversations you're having? Places you end up? Is he at home in your heart? Does he have free access to every area of your life? Or do you have a hidden closet that you're stuffing your mess in and not wanting him to touch right now? So that's the first request, that they would be strengthened by the Spirit. And the result of that request is that he would be at, at home in our lives. He would be our Lord. Because when he is Lord, he is at home. Because we're living in a way that pleases him. The second request is that they would comprehend the love of Christ. This is in verses 17 to 19. He said, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He begins by reminding them 
that they're rooted and grounded in love. Specifically, they're rooted and grounded in God's love. And then he gives them two word pictures. They're rooted in God's love like a tree. And for a tree to flourish and to have nourishment and stability, its roots have to go deep into the ground. And same with us. As Christians, we have to have spiritual roots that go deep into the love of God for nourishment and stability. The second word picture he gives them is they're grounded like a strong building. They're built on a solid foundation. So it's not some flimsy hut that gets blown over the first storm that comes. When we are rooted and grounded in God's love, nothing can shake us. And I shared this with you earlier. When I went to college, I did not have a strong foundation. I wasn't built on a strong foundation. I did not have deep roots. And so when the temptations of life came in college... I got blown over. It was a, a, a wreck because I had no foundation. But once I realized how much God loved me, my roots began to go deep and I began to grow spiritually. And when those temptations came, I could say, nope, not going there. Not going to do that. The trials and storms of life reveal the strength and the depth of our roots. The storms and the trials of life reveal the strength and the depth of our roots and how grounded and solid our foundation is. Because when those storms and trials come, if we're blown over just like that, we, we're not grounded. We don't have strong roots. And so he continues that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that word comprehend, and I'm using the New American Standard, but that word comprehend in verse 18 is really not the best translation of that. It's better translated apprehend or lay hold of. And those English words comprehend and apprehend both stem from the same Latin word that means to grasp. So they're similar in that sense. They both are referring to grasping something. But where they differ is that our word in English comprehend It carries the idea of grasping something mentally. You're mentally grasping it. Okay, yeah, I I know God loves me. Yes, I, I believe that. But apprehend suggests I don't just know he loves me, but I actually am experiencing his love. I am grasping. I am laying hold of his love. I'm embracing it. And so that's what he's praying, that they would not just mentally grasp the love of God, but that they would experientially grab onto his love and live in light of how much he loves them. And then Paul gives a paradox. I laugh at this every time I read it. He tells them 
He wa- I want you to comprehend the love of Christ, but it surpasses knowledge. I want you to know it, but you really can't. And, and he's, you know, I guess another way to say it is that we can't fully understand his love, but we can experience his love and appreciate it. And we will continue to know his love more and more the closer we get to that day he takes us home face to face. It's a process. When's the last time you've been overwhelmed by God's love? Something he did that just makes you go to your knees and you think, God, thank you. I see your love. And I appreciate it. Well, then we come to the result. His prayer was that they would, his request was that they would comprehend the love of Christ. And what is the result of that? So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's in verse 19, the last part. So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In other words, that we would become more and more like Christ. That when people look at us, they see more of him. The more we experience and appreciate and apprehend his love for us, the more we want to be like him. And so we've looked at two requests and two results of those requests. As we draw from the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ will be at home in our hearts. He'll be Lord. He'll be comfortable in us. And as we comprehend the love of Christ, we will become more like him. And then we come to the last part of his prayer, the praise, which is actually one of my favorite benedictions in the Bible. Uh, Verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. At the end of his prayer, He brings the focus to how big our God is. He's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Do we believe that? He may not give us what we ask or think, but he can. One of my seminary professors used to tell us, It's not a matter of, can God do that? But will he do it in his, according to his plan? But we pray and we ask. Do we minimize God with the smallness of our prayers? Do we tend to pray for those things that, oh yeah, uh, Lord, I pray that we'd have a good attendance today. Lord, I pray that uh, today's going to go great. I pray you'd bless her. Do we minimize God by the smallness of our prayers, or do we pray for things that only God can do? We need to. 
Because he's able to do far more abundantly. Again, he may not say yes to everything we ask. But we ask. And he blows us away when he says yes. Because he is the only one who gets the glory when that happens. I remember a few uh, months ago, I was heading to something and I was not feeling good about it. And I thought, Lord, this is going to be disaster today. Um, and as I was driving there, I said, would you work in a way today, Father, that I would leave there and I would drive home and, and just saying, God, only you could have done this. Would you blow me away today with how you work? And I got in the car at the end of this event, and I drove home, and I I wanted to cry because I went, God, I can't believe what you did today. This was beyond anything I could have asked. How did you do this? But that's how I want us to pray. God, we believe you can do things. We're going to pray for big things. Do we pray big things for our church? Do we pray that God would work in our church in a way that would blow us away? Do we pray for us to see people coming to Christ? Or do we pray for those easy things? That's my challenge for us, that we would pray for those things that only God can do. This prayer is so rich. It's a great model for us to pray, for one another, for ourselves. And I want to encourage you this week, pray this prayer every day this week for somebody. And it can be a different somebody every day. But make a point to pray it and pray that they would draw from the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ would fill at home in their hearts. Pray that they would grasp the love of God, that they will become more like him every day. And pray and ask God to work in ways far more abundantly than we could ask or think. Let's step out there. Let's pray big things. And if God says no, we say, I accept that, God. It wasn't your plan. But if he says yes, We go to our knees and say, thank you, God. How did you do this? Don't ignore your spiritual riches, but embrace them. Let me pray. Father, we have access to you 24 hours a day. And Lord, I pray that we would not take for granted the power that we have in us, in your spirit. And Lord, I pray that our prayers would go deeper than just words and surface prayers, but that we would pray for things of spiritual significance. And Lord, I do pray that we would come to know you deeper. I pray that we would draw from the power of your spirit, know your love. I pray that we would yield our lives to you every area. Father, I pray that we would come to know your love more. Not just know it, but experience your love for us more every 
day. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.